the top players and legends to the very best analysts around the world from wherever the beautiful game is played. This is BTP. Now, we're talking football. Yes, folks, here we are on BTP Football CFB promotion, uh, La Liga show today, and I must say, delighted to be joined, of course, my regular co-host, Callum, but I'm delighted to be joined here with a national icon, national hero, like a, a man of my youth, a man that lit up my living room in Spain 82, a man that uh, has royal status back home, the fantastic Jerry Armstrong. Jerry, how you doing, mate? Thanks very much, Phil. Good to be on the show, and looking forward to it. And hope Absolutely. you're getting better weather than we're getting because we've had good weather so far. But then today it rained. So um, my last session about an hour and a half ago, I was out jogging and the rain <laughs> came on. And I wasn't complaining, mate. It was great. <laughs> it's roosting out here, Terry, California. Uh, what, I'm, not, I'm not sure what's like in Bonnie, Scotland. Callum, is it warm over there? What, what are you dealing with over there, mate? It's been superb recently, but as Jerry just said there, over in Northern Ireland, it's starting to rain and that's drifting over to us now. So I think that's the last of the good weather for us for a few days, according to the forecasts. <laughs> Jerry, before we get into La Liga, tell me about your Facebook live show, mate, and how people can find it. Um, we started it off about seven or eight weeks ago because of the pandemic, and we wanted to brighten up cheer people up and uh, it was a difficult situation so I asked Billy Hamilton to do a video and send it to me and he did six or seven minute video of some of the stories when we were players and uh, the crack that we used to get up to and uh, he wore the most outrageous coloured shirt three, four, five, six different bright colours it was like something you saw from the Caribbean and great fun so I posted that first and then people come on and ask me questions you know and uh we started doing it that way. And I was doing maybe an hour, an hour and 20 minutes on a Thursday night, right after we did the applause to the NHS over here. And yes. um, it, it was good. So the, the second week, I phoned Martin O'Neill up and said, Martin, will you do one for me? And Martin did exactly the same as Billy did. And then I phoned Pat Jennings, and he did exactly the same. And then I phoned Jimmy Nickel, and he did exactly the same. And then we thought, you know what? The people were enjoying it, but it would have been better if we could have had a question and answer. So I said... Let's, let's do a little bit more professional. I worked at Sky long enough, so we went in, got ourselves sorted out with the Zoom call, split the screen in the computer down the middle, and had my first guest two weeks ago was Sammy McElroy, and I interviewed Sammy, and he told me some great stories about his days at Manchester United and how he made his debut in 1971-72 season when he went with his first team squad, and uh, he was in the hotel, and Frank O'Farrell, the manager, said, look, Dennis Law has just failed a fitness test, Sammy, you're playing today. Uh, so he's on the coach going to the, the, the ground from the hotel and George Best said to him, good luck today, son. He said, you're going to do well. He said, see if you score a goal, I'm going to give you a big present. He said, I'll, see, you'll sort, I'll sort you out. So George beat a couple of players in the game and it was against Manchester City, a derby of all games. And he slipped it through to Sammy and Sammy went round one and stuck in the back of the net. So he got a goal in the 3-3 draw. Monday morning he goes in, George presents him with a big bottle of champagne. Sammy said, I wouldn't open that bottle of champagne for 15 years because George gave it to me. <laughs> he, he said about six months later, he was called up for the international team and it was Northern Ireland versus Spain in Hull. And the manager was Terry Neal. And they played on the Saturday night and then afterwards they went for a drink. And it was about half 11, 12. And Sammy said, right, George, I'm going to bed because we're meeting at the train station tomorrow. And George says, yes, son. He said, I'll see you at nine o'clock on the platform, he said, and we'll get the train to Hull. He said, but don't worry about the tickets. I'll sort them out. 
So Sammy got to the, the platform and uh, quarter to nine, and George wasn't there yet. And then 10 to nine, he still wasn't there. Five to nine, he was panicking a bit. Nine o'clock, train comes, no sign of George. So Sammy buys his ticket, gets on the train and goes to Hull. George turned up on the Tuesday. He arrived and came in. But Sammy said he wasn't on his own. He had Miss Britain on his arm. And he, he's met the lads. And Terry Neal had to ask the players a question. Like, you know, I know it's like, uh, it's George Best. But, you know, if you don't want me to pick him, because he hasn't been here for the last two days. And the players said, no, we want, we want George to play. So they wanted to play. And he was uh, selected. And they played and drew 1-1. And that was Sammy's debut. I think it was also Martin O'Neill's debut. I think he debuted on the same day as Sammy. So um, great stories he told about George and about his career. And then about, obviously, the times with Manchester United and uh, Northern Ireland. And, um, you know, it's sort of, it's developed. And now I've, I spoke to Tim Whelan from, Wheeler from um, Ash, you know, the pop band in mm -hmm. uh, Northern Ireland. Great guy, a uh, great musician. And I interviewed him last week um, along with Jimmy Nicholl. And Jimmy was so funny. I mean, I don't know if you've heard him over in Scotland, but he is oh, such amazing, a funny man. guy. And he's a great, great guy. And he's my mate. I've known him for over 40 years, but I know how funny he can be. And I threw a few questions at him. And then the punters were sending in questions as well. And my wife, she was reading out the questions to me and saying, oh, there's a question from so-and-so. Questions were coming in from Australia. I mean, can you imagine what time in the morning it is in uh, Australia when we were doing <laughs> the show in the evening? And then we got them coming in from a friend of mine, Rob Spool, who's in uh, Canada. He's up in uh, Niagara Falls. He never misses the show. And if he's working, he can't make it. He, he, he records or he watches it the next day. And uh, we got them coming in from Texas. We got them coming in from everywhere, New York, all around, uh, all parts of the UK. But the questions were, some of them are really great questions. And we developed it and we started asking questions to Jimmy and asking questions to Sammy. So it's a better format. It's much what you're doing now. But my guest this Thursday I've got is uh, John Barnes, Barnsley. And him and I are going to chat about our days at Watford together. And we have oh, a lot of fun for three fun years. Topic, and then <clears throat> I watched him. I actually watched John coming in as a 15 and a half year old little skinny black boy who could run all day, could play with both feet, could head a ball, could dribble, could do it all. And he was really skinny and frail looking, but strong. Clever lad, bright, bright lad, but uh, unbelievable athlete. And uh, I watched him develop. And then the big breakthrough was 1982, Youth Cup final, Watford away to Manchester United for the first leg. And they, we went there, Watford went there, and we beat them 4-3. And then the following week, the second leg was back at Vicarage Road. <clears throat> and that finished 3-3. What a game. And I watched these two lads up front for Manchester United for the first time. Young lad called Norman Whiteside and Mark Hughes. That was the front two. Now, what a team Man United had, but... The Watford team had Kenny Jacket, it had uh, Nigel Callaghan, it had uh, John Barnes, uh, Steve Terry, uh, Paul Franklin, uh, Jimmy Gilligan, all went on to become first team players. Charlie Palmer, World Sterling, every single one of them went on into the first mm -hmm. team. It was a great game and uh, I thought, how old is that kid? And he, he, I don't think he'd even turned 17. It was before the World Cup squad had been announced. A few weeks later, Billy Bingham announced this World Cup squad and low ball, young Norman Norman Whiteside is in the squad and I got to see Norman up close and personal in the end of May when we joined up for the home internationals and then for the go for the World Cup. Wow. 
what a player. And um, yeah. we know what he did. And, and at 17, he played like a man and he had a great left foot. I don't know if you know this, but uh, we didn't have anybody naturally left-footed in the whole of the team, that Northern Ireland team. Mal Donahue was the left-back and he's naturally right-footed. Sammy McElroy's probably a little bit two-footed, but more right-foot than, than the left-foot. But uh, uh, it was crazy. And Big Billy, so we swapped it round. Norman went up front on the left-hand side with Big Billy Hamilton. I dropped into a deeper position in the right side of midfield. And it turned out to be a stroke for, for Northern Ireland because I'm coming from deeper positions. Nobody's picking me up. I'm scoring goals. I'm getting chances. I mean, it was great from my point of view. So all of this happened that summer. So it was a great summer for me because Watford got promotion as well. And we went up and uh, Elton John, the day that we Hi. got promotion against Wrexham, Elton John phoned and he was on tour uh, in a concert in uh, Scandinavia somewhere. And he phoned after the result came in and we had won and we were celebrating. And he spoke to every single player and every single member of the board in, in uh, the, the boardroom till it must have been two o'clock in the morning. He was chatting. He was different class. And um, loved them the bits. And we obviously, you know, we went on a tour with him the following summer just before I joined Real Mallorca. And um, we went on tour with him to China. And I had so much fun with Elton. I mean, he's a great guy. He used to have a party the Sunday before the league started. He used to have a party and it was everybody uh, who was involved at the club. And that included the kit man and his family and the, gr the groundsman and his family and the people who s swept the, the, the terraces and the office folk and then all the players and their families. So we used to go on a convoy to Elton's house at Windsor where he lived and it was big estate. And uh, I, the first time I went, it was a blow you away time. And Luther Blissett said, come on, I'll take you over to the stables and show you. I said, I'm not into horses. And he said, there's no horses in there. It's all cars. There's a car for every day of the week. And he, <laughs> he got the Ferrari out and he threw me in the Ferrari with him and Elton threw him the keys. And we took the Ferrari around his estate for a wee spin. You know, stuff like that. <laughs> Elton was class. He was unbelievable. So we had so much fun. So it was a happy, happy three years I had at Watford. Uh, it, the stories that you have made, and uh, I was actually talking to Denise Whiteside last week. Uh, gonna, we're, we're trying to get Norman on the show. She's trying to convince him to do it. So uh, hopefully we can sort that out. Obviously, a kid from Belfast myself, um, Norman Whiteside, I'm a big and of fun. Whiteside was one of my heroes. Uh, 85 was the first time I've ever cried with joy watching a game of football when he scored against Everton. So hopefully we can get big Norman on. But what, what, what an era for football in the 80s. Great, great time. The FA Cup, everything still meant the world. Everyone that was just as important almost as, as the league itself. And yeah. some amazing stories. So uh, great work with the Facebook Live show, man. Keep doing that because people like myself and many others, those stories get lost, Jerry, over time. So it's important that we get they would get remembered. And they're lovely nostalgic moments for a lot of people. That In this day and age, football's different. We, we love hearing those stories. I remember Gordon McQueen telling a brilliant story about when United went over to play Ajax in Amsterdam and were playing a friendly and half the players were still in the red light district whenever the match was about to start and they were pulling players out of, pulling fans out of stands to play and stuff you would never hear today. Like, but just amazing, amazing stories. And uh, it's brilliant that you're doing that. So folks, check out Jerry Armstrong's Facebook Live. If you're on Facebook, give this man a follow. Go ahead and watch it. And um, hopefully, Jerry... You get it on other platforms as well because I'm sure there's loads of people that love to hear that, mate. There is. Um, they're actually they're on Facebook, and you can you can go back the last week or the week before. You can listen to all of the shows, so they're all there for anybody who wants to go in. You know, Super. and uh, 
we, we've, uh, we've, our wee company, Expro Management, has been trying to organize this and doing a lot for the well-being. And we're pushing that direction. There's an awful lot of people in this pandemic have suffered big time. Yes, man. And there's a lot Absolutely. of people are losing their jobs and, you know, they're losing the will. I've started, I don't know if you've watched the Jogging with Jerry. Have you seen that? No, man, I haven't seen it. <laughs> we started that about five days, six days ago. And I thought, I've got to lose some weight. I've got to get myself fit again. Now, a lot of my mates, like Billy Hamilton, said, but Jerry, I can't run anymore. My knees are gone and my back's gone. And Jimmy Nick's seen my hips. It's his hip. And, um, you know, I, I can still run. I can still jog. I can still do exercises. So I said, you know what? It'd do no harm because people need something to focus on. So I said, right, we're going to do a session called Jogging with Jerry. So in the evening or, or during the day, I go off, my wife videos me and my partner, Lawrence, or one of the two of them, they video me. And I go and done. I started off doing a kilometer one way and a kilometer back the other way, you know, to get my stamina up. And mm -hmm. then uh, we're trying to extend it to do a wee bit further. So I'm up to about three kilometers now. But then I do step ups and I'll do a big rock overlooking Belfast uh, Lock. The views are spectacular. The weather's great. So I'm doing step ups, right leg first and down and up and down and, and do 10 on each leg. Then I'm doing press ups and I'm doing dips and all different exercises. And I th I've started throwing in abdominals because I want to get, get some inches off this, the stomach and I want to <laughs> lose a stone. And it's like people, but what I did was I made it funny because it's not, it's not all straightforward. It's like you have to make it funny. And yes. it takes me maybe 20, 25 minutes to do this little session. But what we do is my daughter has edited it and she's made it go quicker. And we've, we've introduced the Benny Hill music. <laughs> right and it, it's funny you have to watch it it I'll is have to well. that is so well. now, i'm getting i'm getting all these people coming on saying it's made me laugh it's brightened my day up you know That's it's class. fantastic um you know thanks very much i've been really suffering the last three days and your wee video which has brightened my day up that sort of stuff and those sort of comments are great for for me uh, that's what i want to do i want to help people and make them make them feel there's there's light at the end of the tunnel it's not all a dark tunnel you know, so I, we're pushing yep. that way for the last six or seven weeks. And we're going to keep it going. And I've got some great stories with John Barnes. He's told me one. I won't spoil it because it'll be on on Thursday night. Aye. Aye. Well, that, definitely looking forward to hearing it, Jay. And listen, I'll, I'll let Callum jump in here. But um, the mental health side is massive for myself, mate. I've been quite open about my own struggles. And as you're quite right in saying that lots of people during this pandemic and in life in general have been struggling. We do tons of stuff for mental health. So it's brilliant to see people like yourself using your platform and your notoriety to help people. Um, go ahead and turn the conversation over to La Liga, mate. I'll bang a first question. I'll turn over to Callum. Lots okay. of speculation about Sewell Niguez. Where's he going to go? Is this a market employee? Is it a, is it a new club he's going to announce? What do you think is going to happen with Sewell Niguez? Um, nobody knows, basically. And, and there is speculation. At this present time, um, everybody's been concentrating on just basically are we going to go back and start playing football again that was the big question nobody knew if it was going to happen uh, the second part of that was when the German Bundesliga kicked off a couple of weeks ago it put the Premiership and all the other leagues under pressure and mm -hmm. uh, I'm just glad to see that uh, La Liga is coming back I'm hoping to be doing some work over in Singapore uh, on a radio show for the first game which is going to be Sevilla against uh, Real Betis, but um, there's, there's so much gossip and speculation going on. I'm still in touch with Guillaume Balaguer. I keep in touch with the guys and uh, Terry Gibson and boys like that who give me any mm -hmm. up-to-date information, but it's a question of lives and, and well-being is the most important thing still at the moment, and it hasn't kicked off yet, you know, but uh, yes. it looks as if it's going to 
it's going to be okay. But uh, no, I haven't had any information on Sol, Sol Minguez at, at, at this present time. In terms of Lilia coming back, Jerry, we're all very excited. You are one of the voices of me growing up on the La Liga on Sky Sports and really fond memories for myself. And what I want to talk to you about is Real Madrid, because obviously one of the biggest clubs in the world, football is returning, but they won't be playing at the Bernabeu. They're going to be playing at the training ground because they're renovating the Bernabeu. I mean, do you think that could potentially negate their home advantage? Yeah, absolutely. I do. And it's funny you should say that because I did them in the summer when they were over in the States playing some games. Do you remember they played over in America and then they went yeah. to different parts of the world and played games? And they were so poor. I mean, they were so poor. I mean, they got beaten by Atletico Madrid. They were destroyed. And okay. I saw the team. I was commentating on the team for uh, Premier Sport. And I, I, this is a true story. 15, 20 minutes before kickoff, they said to me, right, Jerry, you know, what do you think of the lineup he's got? And I said, I don't like it. I said, it just doesn't look right to me. I said, I know the way Atletico Madrid play. I said, and it just looks a really weak Real Madrid side. The balance doesn't look right. And anyway, they conceded a goal after, well, they had a chance in the first minute and uh, Atletico Madrid didn't take it. And I thought that was a let off. In the second minute, they got another chance and they scored. And then the third and fourth minute, they had another chance and didn't score. And they, they got to sort this out. Otherwise, they're in trouble. Then they scored another one and another one. And it was embarrassing. I've never seen... Um, it was a monumental game. The fact that it was a derby match being played outside of Spain, but it was a monumental game. And I said, Real Madrid are a shambles. I can't see them doing anything this season. And yet, Zidane Zidane turned it all around. He got them in. He started getting them playing. And they played some fantastic football. And it looked at, I don't know what it is. It was just a different team playing that I was watching pre-season. There's so many superstars there. It's tapping into their brain and getting them to play for you. And Zidane obviously did that. But then the crazy part of it was they lost their first game of the season away to Real Mallorca, my old club. I couldn't believe when they lost 1-0 at Real Mallorca, you know. And then uh, Barcelona were having a torrid time as well. They were having bad results. And I thought, this is crazy. And they basically opened the door for other teams to have a go. But Atletico Madrid had lost uh, uh, Griezmann. And I thought, who's going to score the goals and create the chances for them? Because with him gone, they're only, he scored half their goals, you know, and, and if he didn't score them, he was creating them. But uh, they signed Jao Felix, who is a fabulous player, but yeah. they paid 128, 129 million uh, euros for him. And he was only 18 years of age. He'd only had one full season in, in Portugal, scored 16 goals in 24, 25 games. And I thought, he's not even a centre forward, he's an attacking midfield player. And they played him up front, and they played him as an attack in the hole behind a front man. He played in different positions, and he's he's a fabulous player, but he's not never worth 129 million, not at that age. And the gamble, I thought, that's a really silly gamble. So they they had a poor season, they had a poor start, and we're at the situation now where I've seen some of the games, I've done a couple of the games, and it's been set wide open for Barcelona and Real Madrid, one of the two of them to win it. But Real Madrid shot themselves in the foot in the last four or five weeks of the season with poor results, poor performances, and allowed Barcelona to come and take the, you know, um, take the lead in the final game uh, before the, the pandemic started. So it's a crazy, crazy season. But then it's been a crazy year all round. Uh, I can't see anybody other than Real Madrid or Barcelona winning it. But it depends on who's prepared the best, who's got the teams focused, and what, what their belief and their, their, their strategies are in terms of, you know, Barcelona heavily, heavily relies on Lionel Messi. And um, 
Griezmann hasn't really settled in totally for me at Barcelona. Uh, it doesn't look if it's gonna it's gonna be a great season for anyone. But some, one of those two teams is gonna win the league one way or another. Jay, you've got a number of Barcelona players, like for example Coutinho, who's now returning from his loan spell at Bayern Munich. What's the situation? Is he going to be able to play in these remaining games for Barcelona, or what's the situation with that? The situation is Coutinho. They want rid of him. He hasn't fitted in. He's not the player they thought he was. They're they're looking ahead. They're looking to different players. There's in-house battles going on, and the director of football is being slated because he's picked bad players. And uh, they think he hasn't picked players that's going to suit the Barcelona lineup. But you have to understand, Barcelona is a very unique club. You know, when Suarez went to play for um, Barcelona, he was a target man and he was a goal scorer. I mean, his goals for Liverpool were unbelievable, but he's gone to Barcelona and he's still going to score the goals. But he has to fit in with Messi. Everybody has to fit in with Lionel Messi because he's the main man and everything goes through Lionel Messi. Um, unfortunately, one of my favourite players of all time was Andres Iniesta, and he retired and went over to China and what have you. I still miss seeing him playing on the park. So mm. they don't have the same creativity. Um, the likes of uh, Busquets making more mistakes, PK making more mistakes at the back. It's an older team, and they haven't had too many players coming through the academy in the last three or four years. So there's there's massive problems for Barcelona in how they move forward. And... Um, they're definitely not. It's the end of an era coming very shortly. Uh, it's going to be very interesting to see, one, who they get rid of, and two, who they buy. They'd love to have Neymar more back, and he's been linked with the club for two years. Even Real Madrid tried to pinch Neymar and get him back as well. So, you know, that's a, that's another story. But Spanish press and Spanish football is crazy. I love it for that because you just don't know what's around the corner. But are they going to let Coutinho play, though? Because his, late, his loan will have expired at Bayern. Can he sit, does he not allow to play the remainder of these games? Or, or, or is, is the Spanish league going to let him play? Because it's a bit of a contractual limbo because he's supposed to be on loan to Bayern at the end of the season. But obviously, that, can't, that loan is now expired. So is yeah. he going to be able to play in the remaining games? Is they going to be allowed to re-register him? Or is he going to have to sit them out? Sorry, Cameron. Well, what, what they're going to do is they're going to work out now does he fit in? Is he going to be a part of the team? Do we need him to actually try and go on and win another league title? But it's looking at their options, what they've got. And they don't have that many options. I think personally, they're going to use him. I think they're going to have to play him because uh, I can't, that's why they wouldn't let him go back on loan to Bayern Munich because the Bundesliga has already kicked off. So it makes sense to me that they are going to use him in some capacity, but it hasn't worked out. Maybe the loan spell at Bayern Munich helped him and he'll come back and be a different player. For it because he is a good player. It's just, I think it's the setup at Barcelona. It doesn't really suit his. Look at Griezmann. I mean, Griezmann's a class player. I love Griezmann. Great left foot. But, you know, he's got to play where, where Messi plays. You know, Messi plays on the, on the right hand side of, of the midfielder or up front on the right and comes in on his left foot, plays one twos and curls him in the bottom of the net. You know, and, but then if Messi decides he wants to play in the hole behind a front man, he'll do that. So they all have to rotate and and facilitate Messi. And that's why Coutinho, that's why I think it's difficult for players going to Barcelona. To actually facilitate Messi is, is a difficult problem for them. Jerry, something else that I want to touch on with you. We've talked about the, the title race, but in terms of the race for top four, from seventh place to third, Valencia, Atletico, Hitafe, um, Sociedad and Sevilla, they're all separated by five points. If 
you had to pick two teams based on watching them this season. Out of those, who do you think gets into the top four and why? Right, the surprise team this year is Hitafi for me, but they're so consistent. You know, they're organised at the back, their defence, um, they don't concede many goals, they're, they're a decent side, but Hitafi has been the surprise team. I'm surprised that Hitafi's been up in the top four, really. Um, surprised and disappointed with the likes of Valencia and Sevilla and the lack of consistency, but a lot of these teams are, are uh, in a transcending period where they're, they're getting rid of players and they're bringing new players in. I looked at the exodus from Atletico Madrid. You know, when you lose two of your, your, your most uh, experienced defenders and you bring in new players to replace them, it takes a year sometimes or longer to, to settle them in. So it's a crazy one. I, I can only pick you the top two. It's all about who has the desire and the passion and the organisation skills. I would stick my neck out and say Hitafi could end up in the top four and qualify for Champions League. I'd love to see that personally because that would be a great story. Another part of me wants Real Sociedad. Real Sociedad's a good side. And I remember the last year that David Beckham was uh, at Real Madrid and he was he had already signed the contract in the January because Real Madrid didn't offer him a new contract. So he signed for LA in, uh, in the January and it was announced so that the president and the directors went crazy and said, well, he's not going to play anymore. And I remember saying, that's cutting up your nose to spite your face because he's an important player. And they were struggling. And uh, they weren't going to win the league that year. They went to Real Sociedad. They were losing. And I, I said in my commentary at halftime, they got to bring him on at some stage. they got to bring him on because he can change the game. And they brought him on and he created a goal. And uh, he played brilliant. And they won the game 3-2. And Real Sociedad were the team that should have won the league that year. Uh, they should have won it because that was Xavi Alonso was playing then for them. Yeah. And then, uh, they should have won the league that year, and they didn't. And that was down to them bringing in uh, David Beckham and letting them play the rest of the season. I was pleased because David had did a lot for Spanish football. And uh, I was pleased for David. And pleased that Real Madrid let him finish his career with Real Madrid in style, and he won a league title, you know. Because I think he'd been beaten in the cup final, the Copa del Rey. They lost, uh, I think they lost uh, 3-2. I remember doing that one a couple of years before that, or a year before that. But uh, it was great for me to see him and Real Madrid win the league and him finishing his career in Spain in style. Gary, interesting, uh, interesting comments from the La Palmas, Las Palmas president, who said that uh, we come the start of this, the, the resumption of the, 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 the games, he is going to allow fans into the stadium. Now, phase three, uh, this is on June 13th, and phase three allows for 30% of, of the stadiums to be filled. That would be they have a capacity of 33,000, so it's over 10,000. So what's going to happen there? Is he going to get away with the land fans into the stadium? I don't know if that's going to happen this, this term. As I've been told games are going to be behind closed doors. And I think it, it, that I've said actually on, on paper that in the last two weeks I've said it, I don't think there's going to be any fans going to watch games. It's going to be behind closed doors, which is a unique and eerie situation. I've been working for Eurosport and Sky Sports covering uh, European games. I, I remember going to Lazio and they were suspended and it was like 100 people in the stadium. I could hear the coaches shouting to the players from the, from the uh, commentary position, which was crazy. It's not a great atmosphere, but again, I'll stress it, what I said at the start. It's about lives. You have you can't take chances with people's lives, and they have to be sure one hundred percent that it's not going to jeopardize. If one person is injured or killed as a result of somebody being mixed in and within 
distance, then they're going to get crucified. So yeah. football has to be very careful how they take the next step. So that's not set in stone. Trust me, that's not set in stone. Uh, I think it might happen great, gradually. And um, it, it's part and parcel of people's lives because it's not just football. It's concerts. And I've been talking to the Snow Patrol boys, you know, and I've been talking to uh, Stevie Strange, who's the booking agent, who's from uh, Carrick Fergus, but he's also living in L.A., currently living in London in the lockdown. And I keep in touch with Steve. And they're all waiting to see what's going to happen in terms of can we have a capacity? When can we have a capacity? How big are we going to allow them to be? Is it going to be half a stadium? Is it going to be a third of the stadium? It's still one of those. It's a catch-22. We don't know. But it's, it's, they're good points. I've asked the same questions as you're asking, and particularly because I want to put a concert on. And I've been trying for a year now. I've been working with Snow Patrol and Gary Lightbody and Snow Patrol, Johnny Quinn and the boys. They want to play at Windsor Park. And I want to put it on. And I've had Steve Strains there and I've had Johnny Quinn there and he looked around the facilities. They love the facilities. And uh, we, we were planning to put it on, but now it's going to be 2021. And we have to find out what's the capacity going to be. You know, camp, you know because Windsor Park holds 18,000. But if you put fans on the, on the uh, actual pitch, you can get 25 to 30,000. You know, and I've done that with Windsor Park and with... Uh, Ravenhill and the Ulster Rugby as well have done exactly the same. So we're talking to both of them about putting on concerts there through the summer when the stadium's not being used because the RHFA obviously want to utilise the stadium and try and get some, some money back from that to try and pay for their costs and stuff like that. So we've got some great, great plans. And don't worry, Phil, I'll keep you informed all the way. I'm surprised, <laughs> I'm surprised you didn't know a few bits and pieces about that. Have you been in touch with Gary? Gary Lightbody's still in, in Los Angeles. No, mate, I don't know him, but um, I, I, I've mentioned many times, I'm good friends with Carl Frampton, and obviously he wants to fight are. there. Uh, he wants to fight there, so um, he's been obviously talking to him a bit about it, but um, I don't know Gary, but he's someone that I, I, hopefully one day you can, you can uh, introduce me. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm going to get him on my show, but you see, on a Thursday night, he does the OEA, and he gets in and does a, a quest and answer and a bit of singing and all that sort of stuff. So uh, that's why I've got Johnny Quinn, who's a cousin of my wife. He's a drummer, Snow Patrol. He's coming on this week with us. But I'll try and get I'll try and get him in. But I've asked the likes of Glenn Hoddle and people like that. Of John Barnes lined up. I'm going to ask Ozzy Ardiles, who's another mate of mine. Get different people in. They can tell different stories. Yeah. Who's who's going to be able to tell a story about winning the World Cup? You know, know. Ozzy's a great lad, great mate of mine. I introduced him to the Spanish football. 15 years ago he was a guest for us um loves his loves his football loves his spanish football and big big messy fan always ozzy always told me best player in the world diego maradona nobody ever yes. better him. glenn hoddle actually agrees with him on that i disagree i've said to him, no i said in the last 10 15 years that i've seen football there's nobody better than messi and ozzy disagreed with me until six years ago and then he phoned me one day, he says, I've just been watching Messi. And he went, I'm going to put my hand up and say, I agree with you. Not. <laughs> Glenn still thinks it's Maradona. He thinks it's Maradona. But personally, I think Messi, he's on a, another planet, you know. He is. He's just yeah. something special. But Carl, you have one more question, man? I'd love to know how they would have managed with George Best in this current year. Oh, I'd love to have seen that George, guy. I mean, for me, love that. Yeah. Hard on that one. George was something special. I saw him do things nobody else could do. And I'm going right. back to the 70s. And uh, George was unbelievable. He could do it all. And he would have been up in the top of my list for me. Um, certainly the best player uh, I played against was Maradona. I remember playing against Maradona 
1983 when he was playing for Barcelona and they had Schuster and they had Carrasco and they had um, Migueli and they had Alessanco and they had all the star players and they, they hammered us for the first 15 minutes and couldn't score and then we broke away down the left-hand side and uh, Rolando Barrera crossed a great ball in from the left-hand side and I came in diving header at the far post stuck in the back of the net put his 1-0 up oh, so I got a story that was my first goal for Real Mallorca against Barcelona and then I watched a, per- a performance like I've never seen. Maradona was untouchable. We had two players on him, and we could, they couldn't get near him. His first touch was unbelievable, but his first touch and his acceleration from a standing start was unbelievable. He was gone, and they couldn't get near him. And he was, he was on the right-hand side, and I thought, well, he's no right foot, because we were saying, keep him on his right foot. And uh, he got down the right-hand side, and he chipped it with his left foot with a scissors kick right to the far post and Carrasco come in and headed and then the net and I went, I've never ever seen anybody do that before. Uh-huh. And then he created one for Schuster and they, they destroyed us. They beat us 4-1. So I've happy moments because I scored the opening goal, but <laughs> we were we were destroyed after that. He was what incredible. Seeing Jerry, seeing terms of your career at that time, what were the differences in playing in Spain to, to playing in England? Because not many players have have, have done both. No, I was one of the forerunners, to be fair. I was there before Stevie Archibald, who was a mate of mine at Tottenham, and before Gary Lineker, who I knew as well. I mean, I, I was one of the forerunners, but I have to say, um, I, I couldn't believe how much skill the defenders had, the sweeper and speed. They were all so technically good. You know, the, the captain of our team in Mallorca was uh, Rafael Gallardo, and his ability on the ball with two feet, he could do it all, but he couldn't tackle. He couldn't make a tackle. And he would pull out a 50-50s. So that was no good for me. And uh, I would kick him in training just to wind him up, you know, because <laughs> it was one of those. I mean, it was, I, I thought, but they, they, they loved to play attacking football, attractive football. That was the difference. I think the British League then in England, Scotland and all around was a lot more physical. And that's why they signed me because I was more of a physical player. I was the number nine and I played up front on my own. We didn't, we didn't have, we had like five at the back, four in midfield and me up front. And the, the five at the back was two wing-backs who pushed on and supported. And I would get crosses in now and again. But when you went away from home, it was like mostly backs to the wall. And uh, I learned how technically they were. And the, the ability on the ball for the front players and midfield players was great. And I could see that their touch was much better than back in England. And uh, that was identified uh, when I was playing there. And it, it continued. And the gap got even bigger. So when 20, 25 years ago, I started working on Spanish football. And that's another story because I don't know if you know the story. I was working, um, I, was, I was talking to George Best and George phoned me and said, what are you doing this Sunday, big man? And I said, what do you mean Sunday? And he went, I've got a gig on up at Battersea Park. He said, I need a five-a-side team to play. And it's for Channel 4. And he said, we're going to do about how the small-sided game is better for you because you get more touches on the ball. And I said, right, okay. And he said, can you make it? And I said, yes, what time? And he went, by two o'clock. It'll only take half an hour. They're just going to do a quick little video of it and do an interview. And I said, right, no problem. And they said, then afterwards, we're going to be taken across and have something to eat in a big restaurant. We'll look after as well. I said, great. So bring the family. I said, okay. So um, on the Friday, I phoned George. And I said, George, it's me. And he says, all right, mate. He said, are you still okay for Sunday? And I said, yes, okay. He said, good. He says, because there's a problem. And I said, what's the problem? He went, I can't make it. And I went, you can't make it. And he said, no. I said, well, who else is playing? He said, there's nobody else I've picked. He said, there's only you at the minute. Can you get four more? <laughs> 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 so wow. I got 
I got some of the boys in London to come out. One of them was Kenny Sampson, who good mate of mine. Kenny turned up, and we played. Who unfortunately is quite unwell at the moment. Terry, good luck, but, best of luck to but, Kenny. <laughs> so he, he then said to me, um, uh, the producer came over. He said, "Thanks very much for that." I said, "Look, small set of the game. You get more touches on the ball. It's more entertaining. There's more goals. You can practice your skills." I said, "In Spain, blah blah blah." And he said, "George was telling me you played in Spain." I said, "Yes." And he worked for Christmas on Channel Four. And he said, um, "Next week," he said, "I'm starting uh, the work." He said, uh, "They've hired me and uh, some production crew from Christmas to take on Spanish football with Sky." And he said, George said, you'd be the right person to do it. And I said, not a problem. I said, not a problem. I said, I'll be happy to do that. And um, anyway, uh, George then said to me, um, hello, can you hear me? Yeah, go ahead, Jack. Yeah, listen. George then said to me, um, uh, basically, look, he said, they're looking for somebody to talk about Spanish football. I told him, you know all about Spanish football. You played there for two years. So anyway, I said, no problem. So he said, well, would you be interested coming next Saturday at seven o'clock? and being our guest and explain a bit about Spanish football. So that's how I got introduced to Spanish football. And that was through uh, George Best. He was the, the main man that got me in at that at particular time. Okay. I've heard so many stories made from people that knew him well, people that uh, have come across him. And uh, the great thing about George is his football and how he treated people outside of football. I know he, he was no angel. I know he had his dark side. We all, I've had my own dark sides. But... Um, so yeah. many people have so glorious stories to tell about him. And honestly, I see, to be honest, I'd love to do this again, mate, because you have so many amazing stories that I'd really <laughs> love to talk to you about that um, I would love to tap into. I'm really looking forward to watching your show uh, on your Facebook Live because you talk, it took me a wee trip down memory lane there, mate, and I miss those days. And obviously, a lot of it I can relate to. Um, it, it, absolutely fantastic, mate. Thank you so much for taking the time to do this for me. Uh, you've never said no. You've always been a gentleman. And on behalf of myself and Callum here, thank you so much for doing it, mate. My pleasure, Phil. Anytime. And great to speak to you and Callum. Take care. God bless. Take care. See you yourself. Cheers, Jerry. Thanks, mate. Bye-bye.